Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Glory to Jesus Christ. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Many times I'm asked about the Eastern approach to things such as ordination. Sometimes people hear things like the word tonsure, lectorate, subdeacon, diaconate, priesthood. They hear these terms in both lungs of the church in varying degrees, but they oftentimes wonder if they sort of match up with each other. Well, today I have someone who is actually being ordained to what we call in the Eastern churches the lectorate. In fact, it's actually kind of uh, two stages. It's actually called tonsure and lectorate. And I was asked one time about the word ordained in regard to the office of lectorate. Someone asked me if the word ordained is appropriate to be applied to someone being called a lectorate. And I explained it this way. When someone is ordained, they are ordained either to what they call minor or major orders. Now, the lectorate is a minor order. And what it is, is actually, it's a call or, in a sense, an authorization, recognition by the church, especially by the bishop of the church. Again, with the imposition of hands, the candidate makes certain promises to the church and to the bishop about his faith, his obedience, and then he is called to the office of lectorate. Now, lectorate refers to kind of like the word lectionary or lecture, lection. In other words, this person is called to read the readings. In other words, to read and to also chant the divine praises. So in one sense, it has a certain sort of like, almost like glorified cantor character to it, at least in the Eastern churches. But at the same time, it's someone who is authorized to read the epistle, not the gospel, but the epistle readings, the other readings in the church. And today we have on our program, someone who has just recently been ordained to the electorate and also who was tonsured, and his name is Timothy Woods. And Timothy's been with us before. In fact, you might recognize Timothy's name. Timothy Woods was the choir director who directed the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Choir for several years, including the years in which we made the beautiful and very popular CD, Theosis. Welcome, Timothy, to Light of the East. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to him forever, Father. So, Tim, tell us a little bit about your your journey, because originally you were born and raised and were very active and educated as a Latin Rite Catholic. Now you are being ordained to the lectorate in the Eastern Lung of the Church, in the Byzantine Rite. Yes, Father, I was reflecting on that today, that my journey has in a sense spanned 33 years, the same lifespan as Christ on earth. Uh, It just came to me because when I was about 16 years old, I started seriously thinking about the possibility of maybe I was being called to the priesthood or the brotherhood or some form of ordained ministry. And for many years, I thought about that, meditated on it, and prayed about it. And in fact, uh, about halfway through my freshman year of college, I actually decided that Yes, I should enter a seminary. I called my parents. I was very happy about it. But uh, a conversation I had with one of my my brothers convinced me at the time that it would be better to finish my music degree. And so I did that. Mm -hmm. And then sometime after that, I went to London for uh, about three months after undergraduate school. And 
in London, I met some Carmelite priests, discalced priests, and I asked them, where can I find Carmelites in the United States? And they said, oh, they're around. It was a very <laughs> mystical answer. <laughs> uh, well, I came back to the United States, and I went to my home parish. This was maybe a few, maybe about a month after I came back to the States. I went back to my home parish to attend Mass in the Latin Rite, and there was a very good priest, speaker, giving the homily there. I was so impressed by what he had to say that I wanted to meet him. So I went down after Mass and introduced myself, and he said he was Father Rene Hayes of the Carmelite Order. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, well, this must be the hand of God, because I wasn't looking for Carmelites, but I keep <laughs> finding them. <laughs> well, they asked me, how old are you? At the time, I was about 24, and he said, oh, we got to get you into this fast. You're getting too old. <laughs> uh, so one thing led to the next, and I did enter the Carmelites uh, just as a student for about a year and a half. I did attend their novitiate for some time, uh, for about five months. And again, discerned that it wasn't time yet for me to answer that call, or if I even was being called. But as one priest, I think from the the Cincinnati Seminary, um, said to me once, he said, well, you know if you're being called, because there's a voice inside of you that never goes away. Mm -hmm. Very well said. I sometimes like to refer to it as the holy tug. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's a very obstinate tug at times. Yes, it is. <laughs> now, your your field, your your gifts, your talent, and the way you've served the church has primarily been through music, and of course, as a husband and father, a family man, a faithful parishioner. But now you're you're seeking, and certainly have been ordained already to the first level of orders. So you're seeking a deeper service to the church, a deeper ministry. And how do you see your your musical gifts as working into that? Well, I, I'm glad you mentioned first of all about my marriage, because obviously that is my first, and I think at this time still my foremost vocation. Mm -hmm. And with the help of my wife, Jennifer, and the children, they're assisting me toward another vocation, another call. But your question was, how does does the music work into that ministry? Mm -hmm. That's a very good question, because this is all part of my ongoing discernment. There are many ways uh, to worship God. The wonderful thing about the Byzantine liturgy, as you've said many times yourself, is that we worship God with all of our senses, with our mm-hmm. whole being, because this is how Jesus has asked us or commanded us to worship the Father with our whole being. And so music is one of those wonderful ways in which we can worship God along with our eyes and our ears and our smell and all the wonderful things that can be, can be experienced in the Byzantine liturgy. Simply put, the, the purpose of a cantor or a choir is to help to lead the people in the worship of God through music. And sometimes I wonder, why is music necessary? Because there are some religions in the world that have no music to their worship. Uh, but as someone once said to me, that the chant is, is a heightened speech. It's, it's almost like speaking to God on his own terms, mm-hmm. I suppose, to, to sing to lift up your voice, as we say in the liturgy, lift up your hearts. Mm-hmm. And if you sing with the fervor and the, uh, and the love that I've learned to sing this liturgy, you do lift up your hearts mm-hmm. when you sing. And that love has certainly come through on the Theosis CD that you hear on this program. And it's also available, of course, by going to byzantinecatholic.com. Timothy, you're, you're being ordained, or you have been ordained to the lectorate. Now, the different orders, whether it be minor or major, are seen as entities in of themselves. In other words, not necessarily as steps to something. Oftentimes we hear this distinction made. Uh, it's not always accurate where, uh, like, for instance, you go into minor orders because it's just a stepping stone towards major orders. I mean, it can, it is that in a sense, 
But at the same time, is it is it for you? Or are you seeing each stage of it as a sort of the entity in itself, a stage in and of itself, and not just a stepping stone or a sort of a means to a, to a higher end? That's a very good question, Father. Um, I almost wish we had this conversation before I'd been ordained. <laughs> I, I know from what I've read that when I was ordained as a lector, candle bearer, or tantrid, as you say, that I entered at least in a technical canonical sort of way, I've actually entered the clerical state. I don't exactly know what that whole means. Mm -hmm. Uh, I suppose it'll come to me. But to to see each one as a separate entity, I can only see the one that's in front of me, so I suppose I am seeing it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying not to look too far ahead. And if you were to be called to the other orders, such as subdiaconate would be next in the Eastern churches, then diaconate, of course, priesthood, if you were called to those things, you would, you would, of course, would embrace them. But if, let's say, you, you weren't necessarily called, you didn't feel called to the next one, or for some reason it didn't happen, whatever, you would feel certainly still a sense of ministry, a, certain, a sense of service to the church in, in where you are at now. I would, and I would be at peace with that because I answered the call to the extent that God, in his wisdom, thought it best to give. And the call to become a lector. Now, we, again, we have to remember that when we're ordained, it's something very official in a sense. You see, lectorate in the church historically was someone who was seen or deemed by the church as worthy, as talented, as as educated, qualified to, in fact, chant the readings in the in the divine services, and also to lead the divine services in the form of of chanting or in choral music or directing and so on. So it actually has a very, very significant place in and of itself. Even though it's considered minor orders, it's a very significant order, uh, in practically speaking, especially in Eastern churches, because our liturgy is so dependent upon that, that chanting and that, that participatory singing. Yes. Um, well, one question I have, Father, in regards to this ordination that I've just received, is even though one, one used to be ordained cantor in our church, that one could not canter unless one was ordained canter. And I have heard an explanation of why we don't ordain canters. But if you'd like to respond first to the question of dichotomy here. Well, I'm going to do something that I was often told that Irish people do. They, I don't know I'm not Irish, but they um, answer a question by asking a question. So well, I'm Irish, so <laughs> I just did that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I will answer your question by asking you a question as well. In fact, we're going to get to both of our answers and both of our questions when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya, and our guest today is Professor Lecter Timothy Woods on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. The Daughters of St. Paul sponsor a monthly study group on The Theology of the Body. The discussions are led by Father Thomas Loya. Glory to Jesus Christ. Every second Saturday during the month at Pauline Books and Media, 172 North Michigan Avenue in Chicago, from 10.30 until 12 noon Central Time. Simultaneously and interactively video streamed live online. As you know, we are concerned about the sacramental liturgical worldview as delivered by John Paul II's Theology of the Body. For more information, go to daughtersofstpaul.com or call 312-346-4228. 
the Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. You're listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... The Monks of Holy Resurrection Monastery, located in the deserts of Southern California, together with their sisters, Holy Theophany Monastery in Olympia, Washington, are dedicated to restoring traditional Eastern monasticism in the Catholic Church in contemporary America. The monks also serve the Church through their Anastasis Project, an ecumenical ministry dedicated to bringing Catholics and Orthodox together so that, in the words of Pope John Paul II, the Church may truly breathe with two lungs. You can learn more about the monasteries and their work, including how to support this vital ministry, by visiting www.hrmonline.org. www.hrmonline.org. And now back to Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. We're here today with our guest, professor, and now newly ordained lector, Timothy Woods. And Lector Timothy, we were talking before the break about this question that was posed to you uh, as to why is that if you're ordained to do the readings, you know, like for instance, the epistle readings at the liturgy, and to lead the divine praises, the chanting of the church, why is it that other people do it and they're not ordained? That's the question that was posed to you. Right. <laughs> and I said I would ask, uh, I would answer by asking a question. Well, I will in a minute, but I'll answer first directly. I think First of all, it's, it's, it's necessity, it's expediency. And people, a person can, in a sense, physically, if they learn a little bit, you know, do a reading, okay? And there's no one else around. Mm-hmm. We don't have uh, ordained lectors such as yourself in, in abundance in the church now. And somehow it sort of died out. It's kind of being resurrected or rediscovered. But, but for expedience sake, they just grab anyone who can do it, especially the Eastern churches, because we're small. And we don't usually have much of a bench. In other words, we don't right. have a lot, a lot of go-to people. You have just a few at most, if any, sometimes in our small parishes. At the same time, this is, and this is my, my question to you, at the same time, doesn't this represent perhaps almost like a kind of a 
lowering of the bar of what is we're really uh, offering back to God and, and our sense of liturgy. That once we figure, okay, well, this person can do it, that that becomes sort of norm. We sort of uh, settle for that standard. When really, at the time when uh, the electorate really was more common and, and ordination was more you know, uh, official, as it were, more the practice, it seemed like they had a, perhaps a greater or higher bar standard for liturgy. In other words, not anyone could do this part of the liturgy. Right. Even, even if they could physically do it, no, there was more to it than that. It mm-hmm. had to be a certain quality, uh, a certain, uh, as it were, professionalism or, or character to it. Well, that's a very interesting question, Father Tom, because as I was mentioning to my wife, Jennifer, just on the day of my ordination, I think it was, I was asking her, what would it be like if you had a parish where if there was no ordained cantor, then it would no, that would not be allowed to have the praises chanted. You'd have to speak the entire liturgy. What would that be like? <laughs> well, what if there was no ordained lector and you were not allowed to hear the epistle until you had one? Mm-hmm. Because even today, if you have a parish that has no priest and you can't find one, you cannot have divine liturgy. Right. So why is there an exception for the other orders? I don't know, but it's an interesting problem. One priest explained to me, I asked him, why is it that we don't ordain cantors anymore? And he gave a very interesting answer that I think is worth discussion. And that is, he said, that it's not necessary any longer for the, the cantor to have the graces of the sacrament of being ordained a cantor in order to fulfill his ministry. Yes. Now, <laughs> that's an interesting answer. Now, my response to that would be, I think that that actually is kind of, not maybe on the part of, the, of that particular priest, but I think that, that approach to things is, is a great temptation today. I think it's a way of putting a kind of a spin on what is actually a lowering of the standard. In other words, this is good enough, so why do we need this or that? And, and secondly, this whole idea of function, just because someone does something, someone does a reading, is not enough. It's how do you do it? You know, there's a real art. If we really want to, we're talking about communicating the Word of God, the vital, life-giving Word of God that nourishes us in preparation for our salvation as well as our proper living on this earth. Now, that has to be delivered. Anything worthwhile, some of the highest nature, has to be brought to someone in the right way. Otherwise, they may not get it. And, and in fact, that's oftentimes what happens. You have uh, anyone, because just uh, expediency, I'm not blaming anyone. You know, I mean, a, a little parish maybe doesn't have a, not fortunate or privileged to have a person like yourself, a gifted musician, a lector. They use who they can. How, but when you're reading the readings, they may be going through it in a way where they're, it's not, very, it's not as effective as someone who is truly qualified. Sure. And so the listener, the recipient, in a sense, is shortchanged a bit. Uh, short change in regard to receiving this life-giving message. Well, especially in our church, because unlike in the in the Roman tradition, uh, the people in our church don't have the reading in front of them. Right. Yes. And so, if the lector doesn't do it clearly and with a proper emphasis, right. The only way they they have to wait till they get home and check their Bible if they want to. Right. And there's you have to consider acoustics. You have to have an ear for like you know, like for instance, you just don't blaze through something because there's maybe echoes and so on that so the words will jumble together and the people lose that lose lose the message. So for everything in the liturgy, there really is, to use the term, a kind of an art to it. There is a calling. Yes. It's not just that you do it, but it's how it how it's done. And of course, how it's done is determined by the person's qualification. They're, be- they're being qualified to deliver it in the proper way. So I guess I'm all for the, uh, to make a long story short, I'm all for the 
reinstitution, the rediscovery of, yes, ordained cantors, ordained lecturates, the ordained ministries, because that sort of reemphasizes the great lofty dignity of each part of the liturgy and each ministry in, in the liturgy. Yes. And, and the liturgy is vital. You know, you come there, you've got that one time to have that message delivered to you, and it's got to be delivered in a Just think we go to a play, an opera, something like that. Mm-hmm. Would they just fluff through it? No, they would take every detail, right? You know, above all, as a musician, you know, mm-hmm. every detail of that performance would be labored over so that the essence of that performance is communicated to the audience in a way that moves them, forms them, changes them, touches them. Yes. So much more so for liturgy. Well, this same priest who, who told me why he believes we no longer ordain cantors also said the liturgy should be a transformational experience. Yeah. That every time we go to divine liturgy, we should walk out changed in some way for the betterment of our salvation. Yes, in fact, in the anaphora, that's the Eucharistic prayer in the Byzantine liturgy, when, we're ta- when the priest is praying over the gifts and he says, he calls out the Holy Spirit, he's talking about the words, the prayers are talking about change. And the sequence actually is, in so many words, the prayers say that we come to do this liturgy so that we will be changed and then the bread will be changed. In mm. other words, the purpose of liturgy is not to make Jesus, as it were. Uh, Jesus is always present, but it is, of course, is to have him become physically present so that we can change. We are transformed. Yes. We, we enter into liturgy, we're transformed, touched by having touched God this intimately, and we leave to then touch the world and change the world. Which is why I, I think it would be wonderful if cantors were given that grace of ordination, because grace to me means the presence of God. And I don't want to minister to the people as a cantor or a choir director without the presence of God. I mean, good intentions are good. Sincerity is good. You need that. But you also need the gifts, too. You know, grace builds on nature, you know? Yes, as Paul said, God gave us each different gifts to further his kingdom. Well, Professor Lecter, Tim, (laughs) speaking of chanting and music, music is something that's very close to your heart and mind and soul. Uh, What is your musical experience of the church since you you have the privilege and the opportunity and and, and you apply yourself generously to the church east and west in terms of its music? In fact, uh, for those of you listening, uh, Timothy has formed a number of magnificent choirs which are dedicated, in fact, precisely to the perpetuation of the greatest sacred music from both lungs of the church. Yes, I'm, I'm very uh, grateful that God has allowed me to be in a position where I can be in a city and I can draw in singers who are capable of this. The, the Roman church has incredible music, just like the Eastern church does. And uh, to be able to to give praise and honor and glory to God with, with both experiences of culture and faith is... Uh, it's something that I, I don't think I'll ever walk away from. It's a beautiful thing to be able to do with your life. And music, our experience of music in liturgy, Tim, is it, uh, it is both passive and active, isn't it? There's like sort of a balance or blend. Or a... It is. I'm really glad you brought that up, Father, because when, when Vatican II said, and this phrase has been used so many times, although I think it's been misunderstood, that, that the people should be encouraged to active participation. What they were really saying by that, and I can only say this because I've, I've read about other people teaching me, these aren't my thoughts or my words, but what I've been taught by my reading, is that the people can actively participate by actively listening. Mm-hmm. That even though you're passive, you can still be engaged in the, in the presence and the transformative action of God's grace in the sacrament. And there are times when the people are called upon to sing or to speak mm-hmm. or to act in some way or to 
change their gesture for some uh, spiritual or liturgical reason. That uh, what they were trying to get away from, I think, was before Vatican II, when the people started to, as will happen you know, as the centuries pass, people get somewhat disconnected from what's happening in the liturgy. Mm-hmm. And Vatican II wanted to call people back into being actively present in the liturgy, both passively listening, because we have to listen to God. If we're always talking, when are we going to listen to God? Right. And responding to God's call by by speaking, by singing, and, and, and worshiping together. Liturgy, like everything else in the church, is not an either-or proposition. It's a both-and. It's an right. integration and a balance. Right. Well, professor, and I call him professor because that's what qualified cantors, ordained cantors, are called in the Byzantine church. Professor and now lector, Timothy Woods, it was a pleasure having you on here. I enjoyed our conversation, and we look forward to having you on Light of the East once again. Thank you, Father. God grant you many years. Thank you, and you too. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. (laughs) 